Amen? Amen. I, was, I was very blessed this week to be a part of something that I really didn't expect, but it just goes to highlight um, how tight the body of Christ really is. If you're looking, you'll find, right? And um, how many of you have heard of sight and sound? Yes. Of course you have. You know, we're, we're only canceling sight and sound this time around because we're investing in the outside of the building. And even that is, is an act of faith, and we're seeing how God's hand is moving, but uh, because of that, we couldn't go. Well, guess what? I got an invitation to go to sight and sound. And I said, yes, there is. Yeah. yeah, we're inviting you. We want you to go. We're inviting all the pastors to just come and, and just enjoy one of the last shows of Jesus, one of the last presentations. So that was this past, I want to say Wednesday or Tuesday, something like that. Um, so I, when I showed up, the place was packed with pastors. And for me, that was great because I get to meet some of my fellow peers um, that live actually in Lancaster and in the different Pennsylvania regions. Uh, they came from New York. They came from, uh, my God, from all parts of the world. So it was a, a wonderful opportunity for me to hear how God is moving in their lives. I ran, out, I ran into some people that are, are, are doing works in different regions, but one particular family, God brought them here. It's a Hispanic couple, and God joined them to a mega church in uh, Pennsylvania, 40 miles from where I live. And uh, he invited me the next day to go to a pastor's fellowship. So I went. And when I got there, I had a great time. I realized, oh my God, I didn't know there was a church so big here in Pennsylvania. It's a mega church. And I even Googled him and says, well, how come I didn't know about this? You know, I'm supposed to know everything, right? <laughs> Truth of the matter is pastors don't know everything. We went there, they ministered to us, they fed us, and then they, they prophesied over us. It was an amazing move of God. That's why I was sharing with you some of what God uh, ministered to me, uh, how God is moving around the world. It, it, just, it just blew me away. And it, it, it brought me back to the importance of understanding that we're really a big family here. That God's anointing is not just upon the Bronx or New York. God's anointing is in the whole world. For those that seek him, the anointing is released. And they're doing such a significant work there. You know, and what they do is they spend most of the service on their knees, just worshiping God, praising him. There's no theology that's so cerebral that something kicks in. No, what there is is there's such a hunger and a passion for God. And then God gives them uh, his passion. And so they go out there and they feed the, the, the poor. They, they have a, a, literally they get trucks, truckloads. I'm talking about tractor trailer loads of food. $17,500 each. Just to go to different regions and feed the poor. And the church does that. Yeah. And I met the guy that's in charge of that. He says, if you qualify, we'll send you a tractor trailer load. I went, uh, <laughs> where am I going to put a tractor over here? Because yeah, you're responsible. You're responsible for the boxes. You're responsible to making sure, you know. I've, I, have a, I met a friend of mine that I hadn't seen for years. He's one of the ones, he, he passes now in Allentown. And he's doing that. But the thing is, you know, anytime you get out of the city, there seems to be more land. I don't know what happened to the city. <laughs> All the land is gone. But he, he does that. He said the first time he did it, it was a mess. And, and they didn't know what to do with the food. So two guys come up to him and they say to him, what are you going to do with the rest of the food? He says, I don't know. I have to give it away. 
I mean, it's just, that's what they're doing, giving it away. It's just nobody knew that there was so much food there, so it was not a lot of people. He says, we'll take the rest of the food off. He says, how are you going to do that? So we'll bring our truck. The guys come back, they bring the truck, fill, the, you know, fill it up. He says, if you ever have more food like that, call us. We'll take the food. Thought about it for a while. So they, again, it happens, he calls them. He says, we'll be right there. He found out they're multimillionaires. And they have land, sprawling land, and they have people that work for them. As if they take that food and bless their, their people with it. And they're Christians. So God hooked this pastor up with a multimillionaire. You see how God works? It's through relationships. While you're doing the work. All you do is talk, 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 talk. Nothing happens. But the minute you start doing the work, you start meeting people. And in two days, I met so many co-laborers, so many friends, so many partnerships. At the end of it, when, when I left yesterday, uh, the day before yesterday, I was a mess. I was going through my body, you know, experiencing a couple of things. And, and I said, I'm going anyway. And I went there, and, then, and, and I'm soaking. I said, God, thank you. And then the word of the Lord comes upon me, Amen. you know, and talked to me about the seas in my life, what I'm doing, and even with the website and all that other stuff. And God's confirmed me with these people. They don't know me. I don't know them, but the spirit of God that's in them knows me. Yes. Amen. So I just appreciate that so much. And it's, it's just, again, the presence of God. When you get in the presence of God, something happens. Amen? Yes. Praise God. So let's get to the word. Amen. Praise God. One of the things I received is the Lord said, we have come into a new season. We have come into a new year. And it's a new season. Because, you know, um, let's say it this way. Because you people know that. You, you, you feel it viscerally when you say that. Say, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Right? That seems off. Well, guess what? Tomorrow's the new year. That's right. That's right. Oh, no. New year? New year's January 1st. No. According to the old calendar, the, the real, the original calendar, the new year is tomorrow. So we're in a new, we're coming into a new season. There's a season of grace, a release of grace in the season that will manifest in various ways. So one of the things that God showed me and, and spoke to me about is a grace that God has given us. There's a grace that's going to help us in this new season. Because we all need grace. Every one of us need grace. We need grace because there are times where we mess up. There are times where we make mistakes. There, there, there are times that there are things that overwhelm us, that cause us to come into a place of uh, temporary paralysis. And we need that grace to push through that. And Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, it says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice. How it begins with worship. Notice how it begins with honoring God. Our Father, hallowed, made holy, be exalted. Hallowed be thy name. Then it says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it first starts with honoring God. It first starts with making sure that he's number one in your life. That he's number one in your passion. He's number one. He's the priority. Once that happens, then everything else rolls out. Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, God's will can't be done if there are the things in your heart that are first. If pride is in your heart, that's first, then God's will is not going to get done. If, if, if um, greed is in your heart, that, that's first, God's will is not going to be done. His will is not going to be done. If arrogance is in your heart, then his will is not going to be done in your life. It has to be him first. Seek me and my kingdom first, and then all these things will be added. The problem is the world chases after things. They don't chase after him. 
And we got to get back to chasing his presence. It says of wisdom, if you seek it like gold. How do men chase after gold? With all their hearts. They work 16, 17, 18 hours a day. They build big, big companies. and they'll, they'll mess other people up so they could get riches. They chase after with all their passion, all their heart. If we seek after wisdom like, we do, like men do that, we will find it. We'll find the presence of God. It, it's in us to do it. We just have so many other priorities that we choose not to seek after God, not to follow hard after God. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. So? Everybody's busy. But they're busy doing something. The, just just the, 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 the statement you're making that you're busy means that you're after something. Think about it. Why are you busy? It's because you have set priorities before you. But the Bible says if we decide to make our first busyness, our first priority, putting God first, honoring God, hallowing God, his kingdom will come and his will be done, will be done on earth, on our earth, in our patch of land, in our sphere of influence, in our lives as it's being done in heaven. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. So this prayer is to be prayed every day. God, you're first today. Then tomorrow you wake up, God, you're first today. Then you wake up the next day, God, you're first today. Every day, God has to be declared first. It's a lifestyle. It's like you said. You said it's a lifestyle. It's not just a, an act. It's a lifestyle. Hallelujah. Let's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Every day we have to do that. That's part of my daily prayer. Father, I set my will to forgive. I walk by faith in love. And when I see myself getting back into it, the next day I pray the same thing. I say, oh man, I can't keep this one. That one was a doozy. I should have kept that at least, at least two or three days, right? <laughs> should have been offended at that person two or three days. I can't. I have to release it every single day. I have to walk in peace. I have to walk by faith in love. Amen. Do not lead us into temptation. It's not that he leads us, but the original language is don't allow us to fall into that. Guard us. Keep us. Deliver us from the evil one each and every day. That means each and every day there is a possibility that the enemy is after you. If Jesus told you to pray about that, that means that it's an issue. Hallelujah. So if he told us to pray that, we can't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Deliver us from the evil. For your, and then, then guess what? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and all the glory. It ends in worship. It begins in worship. It ends in worship. Worship, worth-ship, the value. We ascribe value to Almighty God. The definition, actually, of the word worship is reflected in the history. One person said it this way, worship is a noble word. The term comes from the modern speech, from the word worth-ship. This later developed into worth-ship and then into worship. It means to attribute worth to an object. To worship God is to ascribe his supreme worth, his supreme value, for he alone is worthy. Hallelujah. And the thing about worship, it's very important that you know this, because worship, let me put it this way, a person becomes like the object he or she worships. A person becomes like the object that they worship. And that's good because a Christian's love, relationship with God, helps a Christian to become more like Christ. Amen. But make no mistake about it. That which you're worshiping, you become like. Yes. 
Psalms 115 says it this way. Psalms 115.8. It says, those who make them, in other words, the heathen gods, go, those who make these heathen gods will become like them. And that's the principle. So believers change when they worship. They take on the very attributes of whatever or whoever they esteem. What are we worshiping? Well, what are you valuing? Your life determines what you value. It's not so much what you say, but what's your life expressing? What are you giving the majority of your time to? See, although there are several words for worship and praise in the scriptures, the most used Hebrew word is shacha, shacha. It means to show reverence, to bow down, to do homage. So notice, there's a physical aspect to it. It's not just saying. You show reverence, you bow down, you do homage, you prostrate yourself before another. You see that many times in world leaders when they meet each other, especially with the Asians. When they meet, they go like that. They, they show reverence, they show homage to each other as a leader. But when we bow before God, that's a different story. We're worshiping him. We respect humans, but we worship Almighty God. So that meaning, uh, the, the literal meaning of that word is to bow down. And so it was customary in the old days in honoring kings and holy men. But the fact does not discount the obvious significance of action of the biblical worship. The people of the Bible days understood the difference between bowing and honoring men and the homage that exalted God. For example, Mordecai in the Old Testament, he absolutely refused to bow to Haman. And Haman hated him for it. Haman wanted to kill him literally because of that. Because Haman had such an exalted image of himself. Peter rebuked Cornelius one time for bowing before him. Remember Cornelius? God gave him a vision. Go to Peter because he has words of life. So he, when he bowed to him, no, no, don't bow to me. I'm just, I'm just his uh, ambassador. You worship him. John was rebuked in heaven for bowing before the messenger, Revelation chapter 19. And Satan, of course, knew the implications involved in tempting Jesus to bow before him. Remember the three, the three uh, temptations? <coughs> if you bow before me, I'll give you these lands, because he understood that you become like what you bow to. Even in the worship of heaven, it involves consistent, repeated bowing, mentioned 24 times in Revelation. The one time General Napoleon Bonaparte said this, and it just showed the wisdom he had regarding this area. He gave one of the best explanations of the difference between honoring man and worshiping God. He said this, if Socrates would enter a room, we should rise up and do him honor. But if Jesus Christ comes into a room, we should fall down on our knees to worship him. Yes. Hallelujah. So whether we physically bow down or bow our hearts, the real inner self must be truly humble before his presence. So when we come on Sunday to church, do we bow in our hearts? Or is it just a rote exercise? Oh, it's time. Minister Tony's singing, so it's time to sing. Oh, it's time to do that. Oh, it's time to do that. Sometimes we get so caught on the times that we miss out on the action of what we're doing and the importance of what we're doing. <clears throat> so in Luke chapter 7 and John 12, we see an act of extravagant worship to Jesus. We see women bowing before Jesus, literally bending 
over so that their lips and tears and hair would minister to his feet. That's how deep the worship got, how personal, precious, personal vanity was cast aside by these women in order to have an opportunity to express their deep devotion to him. And you know, they were criticized for that. But who criticized them? One of them, one of them was Jesus, uh, Judas Iscariot. I got to see Jesus again, so I, I remembered this, the story of uh, the part where uh, Judas was about ready to go sell Jesus out. And Jesus goes up to him and hugs him and says, do what you need to do. Because he knew it was in his heart already. And so you see Judas Iscariot going, looking around and all guilty. And, and everybody, meanwhile, the, the rest of the apostles saying, what are you saying, Jesus? That one of us are going to betray you? And meanwhile, the betrayer was right there and he was making his way out. Ominous, ominous, my God. So you look at the essentials of worship, of honoring. You see it in these actions. Number one, bowing shows humility, shows submission, and the breaking of self-will. Because when I bow before God, that's not natural to me. I don't bow to anybody. I'm my own man. You're your own person. You're not going to bow to anybody. But when you do, you're breaking your self-will. And you're saying, God... I recognize that you're higher than I. Yes. I recognize Hallelujah. your awesomeness, yes. your grace, your favor. I recognize that you are all my, I am dependent upon you. Yes. Number two, weeping shows repentance, springing from godly sorrow. If you say, yeah, I repent, but I don't see no action from you, no visceral action from you. Now, I don't know if it's real or not, but, but, but God knows. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's a person that might look stoic, yet their heart is broken before God. God will know that. But in truth, when you're truly repentant, it'll show, it'll, sh it'll manifest somewhere or another. My God, when you're truly repentant, if you don't mention it, if you don't show anything, it'll come out of your ears. Because <laughs> it has to manifest somehow. It'll show in your actions, it'll show in your lifestyle. Number three, when as the ladies wiped their, his feet, it showed a relinquishment of earthly claims and glory. One broke an alabaster box with an ointment that was so expensive, equivalent to a year's salary. And she broke it over Jesus' feet and his body just, just to prepare him prophetically. And they were so aggravated at that. Judas Iscariot and others were aggravated at that. You know what that could have done for the poor? Yeah, right. And that very one was stealing from the treasury. You know what it could have been done for the poor? You mean, why don't you interpolate, or rather, in, in, put your name in there? You know what this could have been for Judas? And the religious leaders also were very bothered by that. You're not going to help the poor. But meanwhile, they were receiving so much money to themselves. I remember the scene uh, in Jesus when, when um, everybody's selling in the temple. I don't know if you guys actually got to see them. But and then suddenly he comes up and... And he goes to one of the tables and says, my house is a house of a prayer. You've made it into a den of thieves. And he turns the table over. And as soon as he turns the table, everything stops yes. and goes yes. slow motion. How in the world could you do that? <laughs> Spoiler alert, yeah. He goes, and he's, everybody's going slow. And, and it made such emphasis in the moment. Yeah, it was precious. And how do you do it live? They did it live. Yeah, even the table went slow. 
the money went slow. I just said, how do you do that? But they just wanted to make great emphasis in the moment. And to talk about humility, while I was there, you have, I don't know, 900 pastors or so. Two, two people welcomed me at the door. They opened up the door, welcome pastor, welcome. I said, how are you? God bless you. They give me their first names. One was a lady, one was a man. I go inside, and then I meet the Hispanic pastor who is the Spanish pastor of this mega church in Harrisburg. And we talk and we chat. He said, let me go introduce you to the owner of this whole place. El Mero Mero. That's a Spanish word for that's This is like the big guy. This is the chief. So who does he take me to? The guy that opened the door for me. That was the owner. He says, so you the man, huh? You the man. <laughs> I said, oh, it's amazing. But I understand it. I understand it. And, and, and I said, so you're in charge of everything. He says, oh, you know, we're proud of you for what you're doing. He says, I'm just here to serve. Blew me away. Yes. And I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the heart of God. Yes. When we think we're all that, we're limiting, putting a ceiling on ourselves. When we know that it's Christ in me, God can do, because he uses you as a conduit. See, there's, there's, no, there's no recession in heaven. There's so much that God could do through us. We're the ones that limit him. We limit him because of fear. We limit him because of doubt. We limit him because of pride. We limit him because of arrogance. We limit him because we're in competition with each other. But when you're not, when you just get rid of all of that, you say, Lord, have your way in my life. And when they anointed the feet, that showed homage, recognition, awe, sacrifice. And that's what we're doing as we worship. So many continue to search for more meaningful and relevant ways of worshiping, formats and symbols, but the bottom line is that even though they have their appropriate place, different cultures and styles, but the, the, it always should lead back to worship. It always should lead back to us honoring God from the heart out. So when we honor and worship and praise God, it puts God in first place. It puts God in first place. Number two, it puts the focus on God instead of ourselves. And I'm concerned about um, many of the church expressions today because it's putting too much focus on self versus on God. The focus should never be on self. It should always be on God. It's one of the things I love about our local church and our worship team because they always remind us, uh, excuse me, you're not here for us, you're here for him. Right? Isn't that true? Most every Sunday you hear that. We're worshiping him. It's an audience of one. We're not the audience. We're the worship team, worshiping him. Hallelujah. There are no superstars here. The only superstar is Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen. And another thing, praise and worship, it flows out of relationship. We're, we're, we're not just friends with God. We're, we're family with God. He's our Lord, our Savior. He's our provider. He's our redeemer. He's our healer. And so it flows out of that relationship. So when we praise God, gratitude comes out. And that's important in this day because the same temptation that the enemy gave Jesus, if you would worship me, I'll give you all of this. That's happening now. Everybody's after that. They're all, I'm, I'm t- everywhere I go, wherever there's a machine now that sells those lotto tickets, there's a line. And I look at those people, I go, hmm. 
my God. They, they bit into this lie. If I could just make more money. That's the enemy. He said, I'll give you everything if you worship me. And what about all these young kids? They make lines, lines. They wait for days so they could be on that show. The, the next American Idol. Even the name is very apropos. We're making idols of this. And they would give anything. Days they spend online. They'll build a tent waiting a whole week. They'll bring even a toilet. Or they'll hold it for like, like 24 hours. I don't know how they do it. I don't care what you offer me. My God. Yet they do it. Think about it. They'll go to an Apple store to buy the next phone and wait 24, 36 hours, 40. Overnight, they'll wait. In Christmas, many people will wait 24 hours just to you know, save $10 on a toy. Huh? Forget about Jordans. They'll fight over that. Yeah. But Will we do that for God's presence? Will we do that showing up for God's house? Where's the passion? Where has it gone? Some people come to church and say, you better be happy I'm here today. You know, I'm a busy person. I'm all that and a bag of chips and I'm here today. Somebody ought to come and say hello to me. And then they get offended, they leave the church. Pastor, then I'm not gonna come back to that church. They should have recognized that I showed up. Yet that very person will be on the line. Hey, I'm number 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sad. We got to get back to God. Let me put it this way. What a profound moment when everybody goes before Jesus. The Bible says we'll all go before Jesus. We'll all bow before Jesus. There's coming a day. When you will bow before Jesus. Now when you bow, will you bow with joy? Knowing that you have experienced his presence all your life or that time that you came to him, that you lived your life for him? When you bow before him, will you say, my Lord, it's so good to see you. I've been in love with you all my life and I so appreciated you. Why are you going to go, oh my God, what have I done? Will you come with an absence of the gift? What's the alabaster box there? It's the life that you lived. Now when you break open the alabaster box, will it have anything in it? Hallelujah. Relationship. Praise is a choice. I don't have to praise. I don't have to praise. I could praise, I could not praise. But when, when you choose to worship him, when you choose to praise him, that's, that's an aspect of your relationship. See, whatever's a priority for me, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever's not a priority, obviously, I can't. There's too many things. People, we, we live in sensory overload today. We're, we're, we're bombarded by, by things. So that's how come most people are, are off, off of their sink. They're off of their center. Because everybody's telling them what to do. Everywhere you go, you, in the morning you wake up, you, you get, get in the train. How many advertisements do you read? You get on the bus, how many advertisements do you read? 
And all of them are telling you to do something. They're always gnawing at your attention. When you get on the TV, you watch a two-hour movie, right? 30 minutes is the movie, an hour and a half are commercials. And loud, right? Yeah, they're always louder. There's some, they do it on purpose. That, that, I, I call them chorizo commercials. Chorizo is a sausage that's linked with another sausage, there's a link with another sausage, there's a link to another sausage, right? Chorizo commercials. You got like 10 or 12 commercials for crying out loud. And all of them have the best things since sliced bread. Sliced, sliced, sliced bread. And all of them are offering the finest thing, only $9.99. And if you buy another, it's free, but you got to pay shipping. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> and the shipping's like $25. <laughs> and the box says $3.99 for shipping, right? Hmm. Ponderables. <laughs> Praise God. So everybody's after your attention. And so by the end of the day, you don't know who in the world you are, what you need to do. You're broke because you, you know, got on and purchased about 10 things that were like, either have to have that or the world's going to end. And you throw it into the closet with the other 50 things that you purchased that you don't use anymore. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Sad. But when you choose your priority, then you know what to do. You know what you do? No, not no, 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 no. Lord, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so our life now becomes simple, uncluttered, unfettered. And we realize, oh my God, I've been wasting my time with all these things. And not only that, you develop a discernment to see the unnecessary, to see the waste of time that, that you, you, you engaged in in the past. And you realize, my God. This one life that I have, this gift that God has given me, I've wasted it so much by allowing him, her, them, this, that, the other, to dictate it and to control it. So praise is a choice. Praise is also a willing sacrifice. When we worship God, that's a willing sacrifice. There's called a sacrifice of praise. When I'm praising God, we worship. This weekend, I could have gladly stayed home. Yesterday, I was supposed to be in the city to do a big city prayer event, and, and I called Pastor Buddha. I excused myself. I said, I need one day to rest. I need to get back because I want to be on Sunday ready to worship. For me, this was a sacrifice to be here today. But I love being in my church home. I love being there, worshiping, being part of it, you know, although I'm just a little guy. All the action is here. The noise comes from here. I'm just there in the corner doing like little, you know, ding, 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 ding. But this is, doesn't make a difference. I'm still a part of it. Amen, amen. And, and I love being there. I love being part of that. Praise God. It's a willing sacrifice. And as I was worshiping God today, I was just, Lord, thank you. I'm so grateful to you. I'm grateful for what you have done. I'm grateful for what you're doing. I'm grateful, Lord, that you've given me the privilege of being a part of this. Hallelujah. The sacrifice of praise costs us. What does it cost? Our self-centeredness. Our arrogance. It, 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 it comes against the natural tendency to dwell on whatever's wrong in life. We love to complain. Complain, 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 complain. We're always complaining. We're always complaining. We're always offended. You know, this, this nation, I don't know. And, and the schools are teaching our kids to complain, complain, complain. 
Stop complaining. Be grateful. Learn to appreciate what you have. But I don't have this. I don't have. Yeah, but what do you have? God will never ask you what you don't have. He'll say, what do you have in your hands? And then he'll multiply that if you give him a chance. Praise God. Moses, what do you have in your hand? I have a rod. It's a shepherd's staff. So watch what I'm going to do with that rod. Jesus asked the disciples, what do you guys have? Hey, boy, what's that? It's a little lunch. Yeah, to me. We have this. Now watch this. Act of gratitude. He goes to the Father, thank you. Then he started handing out pieces of fish and loaves. and He just kept on handing them out. Kept on, kept on. Gave, gave clusters back to the disciples. And they went and handed out. At the end of the day, they realized that all along, they had more than enough on them if they would partner with God. I'm going to say that again because you're about ready to receive a breakthrough with that. You have to finally come to the understanding that you have more than enough already because God already deposited in you. The only thing you need to realize is you have to partner with God so that God could add the element of breakthrough so he can multiply that which he placed in you. Because what he placed in you is multiplicable. Yes. Because it is seed. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So when we worship and praise, that's done by faith. It's an expression of faith. James 2.17 says this. Faith without works is dead. And praise without outward expression is also dead. Remember Abraham and Isaac? Abraham went to worship. What did he bring with him? He bring his son. He didn't just say, I worship God. He brought the sacrifice. And God, taught, and God told him, I want your son. I want what's most precious to you. And he took his son. He was about ready to offer his son up to God. Now, he knew in his heart of hearts. He said, God told me that that boy is going to be the one that's going to give me my inheritance of, or my progeny, Right? or my uh, children and grandchildren, so on and so forth. He said, I'm going to multiply what this boy has. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have so much family, it's going to be like the sand or like the stars, right? And then God says, give them to me. Could it be that some of your greatest disappointments are because God has asked you for what came natural to you, what's passionate to you, and yet God asked you for it? And God shut it down for a short season? And you're angry at God and you're upset, you're disappointed at God because you had seen something it's not coming to pass. Abraham worshipped him with it. He said, and just before he killed the boy, just not, don't do it. I, haven't, I have the offering for you. It's a ram in the thicket over there. I just was testing your heart. So as he's tested your heart, how are you doing with that? That, how's that working for you? See, so the problem is, is that we fall in love with a thing instead of Almighty God. Yes. Abraham was in love with God. So he, he expressed to God by his worship and by his sacrifice that God was first. Even beyond the boy that he loved so much. 
That's a heavy moment right here. Keep poking, right? If I keep on poking, my God, it's just, woo-wee. What's more important for us? What's more important to us? Is, is, is our worship revealing that our love is more toward the thing, toward the vision, toward our dreams, our hopes, or is it pointing to him? What if he does take it away? It's his all along. It's never ours. We know that because the pharaohs proved that. Because they took the gold with them. Problem was that in the transition, when they died, the gold stayed inside, entombed in those pyramids. We know that because we dug it out. Some people became very rich because of that. Thanks to the pharaohs. Yeah. It doesn't transfer. But Abraham became a friend of God. God showed Abraham. God even had a discussion in heaven. He says, we're going we're to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So we need to talk to Abraham about that. And you know what he said about Abraham? He said, we can trust Abraham because we know Abraham will teach his children and his grandchildren about, about me, about righteousness. He trusted Abraham. But part of the trust in Abraham was in his worship, in his sacrifice. How he responded to God. God said, I'm going to bless you. Thank you. I'm going to take it away from you. You're God. I hear your voice. I listen to you. Whatever you say. You're God. You're God all by yourself. So what did God take away from you? Or maybe he didn't take it away from you, but circumstances did, but you're blaming God for it. Is he still God? Is he still worthy of worship? There was a song that, that in the 80s, I think it was. It said, if heaven was never promised to me or to live life eternally, it's been worth having the Lord in my life. Living a life of righteousness. No, living in a life of darkness, but he, he gave me the light. He brought me to the light. I forget the name of the, the singer. Uh, Twilight Paris, I think, if I'm not mistaken. A beautiful song. I'm not going to sing it to you because I will mess it up really badly. <laughs> but, um, but think about it. Even if heaven wasn't promised, it was still worth having the Lord in my life. Right. I was living in darkness and he gave me the light. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So we worship him. We have, we have such grace, such joy. And we need praise and worship because it strengthens our faith. Amen. Psalms 106.12, very precious word. It says this. Then they believed his word, and they sang his praise. Yes. See, when we believe God's word, when we understand him, when we get, catch that revelation, we sing. We sing out of a heart of appreciation and revelation, of knowledge, of understanding. This was a condition of the children of Israel in the wilderness. But they believed, and they sang. So the other thing about worship is it encourages us. It encourages us. Remember... Um, David, at one point in time, that's, you know what, that, that's translated, that means, listen to this man, he's preaching good. So we need to learn how to encourage ourselves because when we speak to ourselves, it also affects our atmosphere. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. So what are we saying to ourselves about Almighty God? Out of our, how, out of our mouth, the heart speaks. 
We are ensnared, the Bible says, even by the words of our mouth. And, and the, Mark 11 says we have what we say. So the way we say, the way we frame our faith and our worship also has a lot to do with it. And you think about uh, David. He was distressed in 1 Samuel 30. They were planning to stone him because as he went out with the warriors, he left the women and the children in the main camp. And so the enemies came and they kidnapped the wife and the children and all the stuff. So after they won the war, they came back. There was no family there. They were all kidnapped. So the guys wanted to stone David. And so David, he went before God. He said, God, what should I do? He encouraged himself in the Lord in a time like that. In a great crisis, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Say to your neighbor, we have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Even in the midst of great crisis. And so God spoke to him. God says, go get it back. You're not going to lose not one child, not one wife, nothing. You're going to gain it all back. He went, got it all back. So there are times in our worship that when we come to church, there's no energy in us. We're, we're in crisis mode. We're struggling. And we go to church and say, Father, I encourage myself in you. You're still God. And one of, one of the great things was when John Wesley, he said this, in his times of of, of anxiety and of, of a temptation to, be, to doubt, he said this. He says, he would always pause a moment to pray and praise God for the fact that he was still on the throne of heaven, ruling all things well. He said this, I have never known more than 15 minutes of anxiety or fear. Whenever I feel the fearful emotions overtaking me, I just close my eyes, I thank God that he's still on the throne, reigning over everything. And I can take comfort in his control over all the affairs of my life. Hallelujah. He's on the throne. He's not on vacation. And he knows my situation. He's with us. Hallelujah. And the last one I'll mention today is the, the praise and the worship of God can actually help to silence the attack of the enemy in your life. In Psalms 8, 1 and 2, and it's also referenced by the Lord Jesus later on, it says, uh, it says, O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name on all the earth, who has set out thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Right? So it shows something there regarding strength that actually silences the enemy and the avenger. But in the book of Matthew, Jesus refers to this very verse. But instead of saying, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength, he says, out of the mouth of babes hast thou ordained praise. So he wasn't misquoting. He was basically interpreting what that thing meant. He was very basically sharing with all of us that area. When you honor God, when you worship God, the Bible says that there is a strength that comes to you and that strength helps you to still the enemy and the avenger. So in the area of worship, worship and praise is like a garment to us and it's a garment that protects us. It's a garment that comes against your enemies. Praise God. And so in this season, we need to immerse ourselves in 
worship, in adoration, in uh, reconnecting ourselves to Almighty God, because that's where our victory lies. That's where our protection is. That's where the revelation will come. A moment in his presence will destroy the work of the enemy in your life. It'll reveal who you are because you're his creation. Hallelujah. It'll allow revelation knowledge to flow, not just for you, but for your family, for your future, for your destiny. Hallelujah. So, Father, this moment I pray for your people. And that which you revealed to me, Lord God, several days ago, and you said, Lord, that we're carriers of it, Father, I pray for them right now. I ask, Lord, that your anointing would flow to them. And that revelation knowledge, Lord God, of who you are in them and who they are in you would become such a reality to them so that the focus will shift from circumstances and situations to their relationship with you. And at the same time, that revelation knowledge will flow in and through them and that they would begin to voice what you're saying over this land versus agree with what the enemy is saying. Agree with what people who are complaining are saying. Father, help us to shift our focus. Hallelujah. So I, I, I'm, what I'm seeing in my spirit now is that there is a power in you that as you start speaking the word of the Lord, you're literally going to shift people. And in, there are going to be times where you're going to have to shut them up long enough to get the word of the Lord out. Because there are people that are so confused and so deluded and, com and, and pretty much taken in by what the enemy is saying, that all they do is repeat it over and over. And I pray that God gives you a boldness because you're going to have to literally stop people in the trust. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me give you another perspective of this. Here's what the Lord is saying. Hallelujah. Here's what the Lord is saying. And, and it, this is a breakthrough moment because, see, you think you are somebody because that's what you've been taught. You've been raised to think a certain way. Uh, you know, you've had a certain experience. But God is saying, no, that's not who you are. It's just been an experience. But now I'm going to take that experience and I'm going to use you and that unique experience. But contrary to what you thought, you were taught this, but now I'm going to shift it over you. I'm going to shift you and what you thought was one thing, I'm going to use it to deliver others. Hallelujah. 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 You thought it was going to be a disadvantage, but I'm going to make it an advantage. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Wow. Thank you, Father. 